back, Habibi. Welcome to Wrecked, the podcast where we explore what happened when California legalized adult use marijuana in 2018. My name is Christopher Trout. I am the creative and editorial director at The Grass Agency, and joining me today are Rena Caria. Yo, yo. And Brandy Moody. Hi. I think I said that the last time. <laughs> That's okay. Consistency. It's on brand. Uh-huh. Yeah. Stick with it. Is that my thing? We'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, y'all want to tell people what you do? Sure. I'm the other half of grass i am the brand and design director and i am a freelance marketing research and strategy consultant working in cannabis wine and spirits and a bunch of other different industries sounds like a lot of work it is (laughs) so today we're talking about celebrity Mm -hmm. and one specific can celebrity in particular. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even know where to start with Matt Shotwell. His show on the Discovery Channel, Weed Country, came out in 2013, and it followed Matt through some very insane legal dealings. So yeah. basically, prior to that show, Matt had set up an illegal dispensary in Vallejo, California, and the show is all about how it all fell apart. He was the biggest marijuana dispensary owner in Vallejo, California. Vallejo, Vallejo, the city of opportunity. At least that's what the sign says. Now, Matt Shotwell is a disgraced businessman looking to restore his stature in the weed business. Rena and I actually met him at Hall of Flowers, which is a big weed conference that happened in Santa Rosa earlier this year. And Matt was there in a sort of, I'm guessing, unofficial or official capacity. Well, officially in the cannabis, his <laughs> his official. So <laughs> we meet this dude. Basically, we're out, you know, going to some some whatever industry parties after hours. And our friend is like, hey, you got to meet my my boy, Matt Shotwell. And we're like, okay, cool. He's on the cannabis. And we're like, what's a cannabis? Well, it's a giant gold chrome RV like yeah. or tour bus that has been pimped out, for lack of a better word. Um, somebody pimped that ride. <laughs> has a gold toilet in it oh. and TV screens. And hella fly chicks and it champagne. goes to Burning Man. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, Things like that. We meet this guy, and he's a real fast talking, very kind of like you know life of the party kind of dude. And we're inside his cannabis, his gold chrome cannabis, on the streets of Santa Rosa, and people are smoking hella weed in there as if it's a legal thing that you can do. He, he gave a champagne, and he was balling out like at this at this conference. He looked like. He was one of the ones making money, right? Mm. So there's a lot of conversation right now around who's actually making money in the weed industry. You go to these big events and people are bawling. Like people are like really showing out and really like there's just a ton of bravado. When in reality, you get these people 
out of that situation and you recognize that there's something entirely different going on and that's exactly the way it is with Matt. My dad and my sister both got cancer in the same year when I was deployed as a merchant marine officer on ocean going cargo ships for the Navy. And they asked me to send them cannabis from California where I was and they were in Virginia and medical marijuana does not exist in Virginia. It's just a felony. I started sending weed to my family members from Virginia in the mail and small amounts. And then I was like, well, shit, this could be profitable. This could be a alternate line of work for me. So I quit my job. And so then I started learning the weed business. So I started sort of trapping on Craigslist and that's where the market was. That's where people were transacting weed was on Craigslist. And when was this like early? This was 2008, 9, 10. Okay. And I had my little Geo Metro. I had a 1993 Geo Metro with a printer in the back seat attached to a transformer that plugged into my cigarette lighter, a DC to AC transformer. And I would scan and copy your doctor's recommendation. And uh, then you became a part of my quote unquote collective as I learned it to be. And so I formulated what's called the Greenwall Collective. At a certain point, uh, I got so busy and there was this trap dispensary, we'll call it, right down the street here. And I was like, man, if this motherfucker's doing it, I could do it. My parents ran a small business, I can do this. So then I went into every dispensary that I could find, BPG in Berkeley, and every other dispensary that I could find, and I started analyzing and studying and stealing and taking photos of everything that they did and how they did it. And I reverse engineered it, uh, like, okay, that's how they're doing the display case, photo. Little pods, photos, bags, like what the fuck do I need to do to do this supposed weed dispensary business? Brand new, we're talking 2008 and nine, like, these motherfuckers are selling weed and they're kind of low-key allowed to do it? Okay, then for sure I'm going to use the fuck out of my white privilege and do that shit because they're probably not going to fuck with me and that's my homie down the street. I'm like, well, they arrested his ass then they're probably not going to arrest me. And then that turned into Greenwell, which was his dispensary. Matt didn't go through any regulatory processes to get where he, where he got. At some point, he got shut down and decided instead of stopping, he was going to set up business in the back of a U-Haul. <laughs> I was standing in the back of my U-Haul moving truck with two safes, a fucking loaded weapon, and a lot of fucking weed in downtown Vallejo on Marin Street, broad fucking daylight, selling a line of human beings down the sidewalk. And the police department showed up and was like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm dispersing the cannabis that was given to me in my collective on consignment and on terms, and I'm giving it back to the people who gave it to me. Kind of a low-key false narrative. I was really just selling weed. So here I am standing with the police chief's son, who I didn't even know was the police chief's son at the time. And he's got a gun, I got a gun. He's got a vest, I got a vest. And we're standing here, in my opinion, as like, who the fuck are you? And he's looking at me like, who the fuck are you? But I was very kind of brazen and, 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 and reckless with my way of being at the time. But that's how you have to be as a pioneer and an entrepreneur and that's why I was successful and that's how I am successful and why I am where I am today. You know, you gotta risk it if you want the fucking biscuit. I made $10,000 in that three day weekend to put a security deposit down for a bigger space 
one block away, one block closer to downtown, one block closer to City Hall, and now I was in a huge fucking building, and they created a fucking monster. I ran an ad in the Vallejo Times Herald, the first person ever to run a print ad in a, a fully public, public newspaper, a print newspaper. It brought people, it reached a demographic of people who read print newspapers, we'll say. A, ma a mature audience, right? Who the fuck reads print newspaper? Not really us, you know, people in their 20s and 30s. That's older people. Yeah. And sure enough, an older gentleman came in my dispensary named Kip Baldwin. And Kip Baldwin was a filmmaker. And you know, we started chatting about TV and film production. So here I am thinking, well, I'm a merchant marine officer in this shithole city of Vallejo that just went bankrupt, and I am the first dispensary operator, and I serve my country, and now I'm selling cannabis, and I think there's a story here. And he goes, yeah, you're right. I've never heard of that. You are absolutely out of your mind for opening a dispensary in downtown Vallejo on Front Street. You have no security guard. You're wearing a bulletproof vest. You have a gun, and you're just selling weed by yourself. Yeah, I agree. There's a story here. Let's do it. I'll say, cool. I'll pay for it and finance it if you can produce it. I did not know how to produce anything at the time. I was just talent at the time. And so he hired a camera crew and they started following me around and I paid them in weed. We pitched it to many networks and we made little DVDs and we made little episodes and it was called The Greenwell Project. And uh, then I got raided and my world fell apart and I went to jail. Kip Baldwin called up everybody that said no. He said, hey, you remember that merchant marine officer? That ginger dude that opened a dispensary in the shithole of the Vallejo? They said, yeah. Well, now he's in jail. And they said, we'll be right there. And then the camera crew showed up at the jail and they waited for me to get out. And then when I walked out of jail at like two or three in the morning after posting bail, they increased my bail from 60,000 that they revoked and they increased it to $100,000 and held me for 11 days. And at that time, my business got pillaged and robbed and, 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 and vulturized by the community at large because everyone knew, ooh, the weed man in jail. Let's go steal all of his shit. Let's go jack his business, jack his house. When I got out of jail and uh, I had this choice to make, I could litigate, I, I, I had to obviously go to court and deal with this legal situation I was in but I had to decide, am I gonna pursue this TV show idea at the same time? Which is kind of poking the man at, this, at the same time. And well, I said, well, fuck. I could do eight years in prison and have no TV show. Or I could do eight years in prison and have a TV show. That's how I looked at it. I said, well, fuck it. I got nothing else going on. I'm about to lose my entire life. All in, all chips on. Fuck everybody, I'm going full send on this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people telling him no and him saying basically, fuck you, I'll do what I want. And I'm I'm sure he said that many times in his life. But that sort of brazenness has not only like pushed the conversation forward, gotten it on a national level, which it hadn't been prior to weed country, but it's also been his Achilles heel. Mm -hmm. He is he is repeatedly, because of his attitude, because of this fuck you, fuck authority kind of attitude, he's found himself in some pretty hot water. And he lost Greenwell, was facing time in jail. 
he got this TV show. The TV show went well, and then he decided that he was going to try and open a dispensary in... He was trying in Marin for two years. Yeah, yeah. And Marin let everyone go through the process of applying and spending all the fucking money on it. And then Marin was like, "Eh, actually, we don't want this. And so Marin County is different from Sonoma County. And somebody in Sonoma had um, an extra plot of land or something and was in the, I guess, in their green zone. So he He, started growing. He started growing outdoor, which is... But it's different for him, just right? like everything else Nat Shotwell I was just going to say, right? <laughs> he didn't have any formal training in growing weed. And he will say, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and at first it seemed, seemed like things were going well. And then it all fell to shit again. <laughs> I put 400 plants in the ground in late summer. And I yielded around 130 pounds, like a quarter pound QP off-ish each plant. But, you know, someone jumped the fence and stole all my tops, you know, the week before my cameras went up. Some type of inside job, you know, weed farm life shit. And someone jacked me. But I still netted around 100 pounds of weed, which is the most weed I'd ever grown in my life. That that fed my, you know, paid my bills through the year. So then the next year I decided to go all in and go hard. And this is where the double-edged sword of my way of being was not in my favor. I put 2,000 plants in the same square, and that was too many. And it was too congested, and my plants couldn't breathe. And then we had a mega rainstorm coming, and then my generator failed, and my greenhouses went from a greenhouse hoopy, a hoop, a temporary hoopy that I put up in the weeks leading up to this supposed devastating rainstorm that was coming down the pipeline. Oh my God, there's a big rainstorm coming right in Croptober? Oh no, let's put up greenhouses. So I spent $6,000 on PVC and plastic and hoopies and fans and I rounded up every fucking fan I could find and got rent, got a big ass 25,000 watt generator that was $20,000 brand fucking new and I got all the cores and the extension cords and we're ready, we're ready, we're ready for this big mega rainstorm. And then the generator failed. And then those greenhouses that were meant to protect my crop then turned into a sauna of humidity and trapped all the humidity from the environment in that canopy under the greenhouses and then the sun came out the next day and turned it into a steam bath and vaporized and roasted my entire fucking farm and turned it into dust and I could grab colas and they would disintegrate in my fucking hand like nothing and 500 pounds of weed turned into 500 pounds of trash overnight and I had borrowed a quarter million dollars from all of my friends and family to do this and now I was fucked and I think back on that now and I'm like how audacious or arrogant of me to think that I could do what people have been doing for 20 and 30 years that I could just walk in the game and hit a fucking home run because that was my experience or that was the story that I told myself was I can do anything and I can do this if you could do this I can do this anything you can do I can do better the tale is it's so kind of captivating mm-hmm and like you kind of root for him you're kind you're always rooting for him right they're like oh he's because here's my thing like there's a lot of energy death brazen all of this but at the end of the day i really appreciated that his his kind of you know entree into cannabis was compassionate care really because his his father and his sister were sick and Mm -hmm. it was making them better yep i think from there though 
it really kind of spun out of control because mm-hmm. he always was, as we talk about like celebrity, he always was like the guy, yeah. right? And he had this whole kind of like persona about himself that perhaps maybe ego kind of got in the way of really kind of being like, okay, pulling back, let me get legal, let me keep going on this. But no, I'm this I'm this huge personality. I'm not going to slow down. Right. Well, and part of part of what he was doing, at least at least he says, right, was trying to legitimize the business by doing these illegitimate things very publicly. So he was at least in retrospect, he he can say that, you know, all all of this work that I did wasn't for nothing. Like it 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 did spark a lot of conversation, at least in Vallejo. Um, and he he did become a canalebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> is that gonna is that gonna keep is that gonna proliferate? I don't know. <laughs> How much of it of him like holding on to that and saying that is this like cult of personality of the pot dealer? Right. Mm. And we lost that with legalization. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. for the most part. Right. Yeah. Like we all had for many years. I'm sure we all had like our dude, our guy. That's what, you know, Pineapple Express was all about. And like these kinds of movies. Right. It was mm-hmm. like this cult of personality surrounding this like illicit drug dealer. Right. And we don't really have that anymore. And I feel like a lot of what Matt Shotwell does is really kind of hold on to that from the past. And I, I hadn't thought about it that way, that, that his type of celebrity is like somehow the elevation of that figure like when you meet this dude in his environment it is like oh my god i feel like i'm being transported back to like 2002 right (laughs) yeah like he's got the giant weed uh weed leaf rug that's kind of covered in cat hair and some other stuff and he's hanging out in his in his sweats and his slides and that leather couch yeah and he's got hella friends coming through his security guard came through at some point did he have an aquarium (laughs) he did did. wait Ah! there you go i think he did Uh, oh he had a um terrarium massage chair he had oh i love it he had a cat with like 28 fingers or some shit. <laughs> See, this it is... It has seven... I mean, nuage. claws. I think there's like a bit of nostalgia attached to that yeah. more than anything. I mean, it's like one of those things where it's like on paper, you're like, oh yeah, like the aquarium and the slides and like, I remember that guy. And then once you're in it, you're like, oh, this is illegal. <laughs> you know, like I remember the last time I was at a house like that and there were like two plants in the backyard and a doughboy pool and all of this and I was having fun and I, I remember being like really high and being like, oh, this is great. And then like looking at the plants and like being like, this is illegal. Like mm-hmm. at any moment, like someone could come bust through, you know, bust through the doors and I could be arrested. Right. And like, it's like that feeling of uneasiness too, where like, you know, when you're at your drug dealer's house back in the day, you're like, okay, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like I don't want to be here when like that happens. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that was like the vibe. I mean, that's a vibe I get from him where it's like l- there is a certain kind of excitement of living on the edge like that. I was processing my harvest, my recent harvest from the fall of 2017. And um, it was marginally successful, but I was a license holder. And then I crafted a brand, Native Tree Farms. I needed a brand to bring to market. And then I was trying to monetize my celebrity uh, into my brand. And then use my dispensary relationships and the celebrity that I had accumulated from my TV show 
to get my brand into stores. Legalization happened for the world for for people at large in California in January of 2018. But there was a date that happened in the industry in July of 2018 that mattered to operators. And if you did not have a license at that time, you were effectively out of business. I had that license and now I had a brand and I had relationships with all these other cultivators who did not necessarily have a brand, but I made a fatal mistake, another fatal mistake. I had to partner with a couple distribution companies to bring my brand to market. That was the new middleman broker. You couldn't just take your weed and go sell it at a club like the old days. You had to go through this new intermediary called a distributor. I was like, okay. I partnered with several distribution companies and most of them fucked me and were operationally deficient and did not do their role and job of distributing my weed that I got on terms and loaned to me from all these other cultivators that trusted Matt Shotwell to do what I do best, which is go put product in fucking stores, sell weed, be the brand, be the face, and I put a lot of weed with one distro and they were successful. And I put a lot of weed with another big distro that I won't say the name for the purpose of disclosure and they fucking didn't do a damn thing. And they sat on a shitload of my weed and didn't fucking sell it at all. And then the people that were waiting for payment other cultivators that did not do the branding and the Instagram and the website and all that shit. Matt, where's our money? I'm like, well, the, your weed is in this distro. And it, it affected me in a serious way and uh, damn near put me out of business. So how did, ultimately, how did 2018 go for you? It was a shit show. Total dumpster fire of mistakes. Uh, and... Uh, learning lessons, trying to figure out a business that was essentially had to be started from the beginning. The way we all were doing business prior to that was not going to be the way we were allowed to do business moving forward. When you asked him, what about Prop 24? He's like, never really fucking thought about it. You know, like I was doing what I was doing and I think there are a lot of people like him who were operating under compassionate care and with the devil may care attitude, being a maverick. And then legalization is a whole different ball game. Like I, and I think he said this in the interview is that he didn't do his research. You need a distributor now. Okay. Like any distributor will do not like, let me like, seriously vet this, this yeah. person mm -hmm. or this group. Yeah. Now post legalization, you have to think about, the laws in ways that you never had to before. Like your business has track and trace from seed to sale needs to be compliant. That And that was not a thing that anyone even had to like, no one had to pay taxes. But I doubt that Matt Shotwell is ever going to bow out. Mm -hmm. no. Yeah, no. You know, like this guy is going to be a part of it regardless. Mm -hmm. And I think you see a lot of that too. Like there's a lot of people floating around the cannabis industry who are still just like, okay, so now I don't own a business or now I don't do that, but I'm gonna do something, right? And yeah. they're trying to figure it out. There are people bouncing around between these companies all the time. Um, it's just like a different, I don't know, it's a different like model. Mm -hmm. yeah. There are those people that just will never leave because they don't know anything else. And I think that's him. Not to sound like a parent, but where do we see Matt Shotwell in five years? You know, like <laughs> where, where, what will become of him in like five years time, right? It's like, it's kind of like, it's really one of two ways, you yeah. know? It's like, for me, I feel like it's either like 
He will stand the test of time. He will have, I, I mean, someone come and help him and see his can of liberty and kind of like bring him into a very more of more successful fold. Or it's just going to be too much of the hustle and we won't see him anymore. There's this sort of prevailing theory that if you can weather the storm, you're going to cash in. Yeah. Well, and maybe maybe that's what Matt is operating on. Well, he's weathered this, so many storms already. Yeah. That I I mean, if I were him, it would give me the confidence to just hang on to that side I, of the boat. I, I think he's going to make it. I think he'll... He'll figure out his outdoor grow in Sonoma by the sea or wherever wherever he is. And <laughs> <laughs> he'll get his weed and his brand. He'll get his, I mean, like, he hustling every day. Yeah, he's, that, he's such he's a hustler. Yeah. I think three Instagram accounts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think the issue for a lot of people like Matt is, like, he is a thousand heir. Right. So he has some money. He doesn't have a ton of money. He's not going to qualify for an equity program. A lot of the programs that people like Jennifer Lujan at Ease are doing are focused on minority communities, formerly incarcerated people or people who are low income, right? So you have a whole group of middle class people who don't have the resources from benevolent organizations and don't have the money of a giant corporation. And yet they're they're having to compete the same as anyone else. The big takeaway from conversations with him and other people that are kind of in this sort of in-between space is just that, like, you have no fucking clue how, how much work it's going to be, even if you do your homework. It doesn't matter. You can have a fucking solid-ass business plan. You can know the laws in and out. You can... Do your research on which city to go to, which city not to go to. But the bottom line is, at some point, it's like fucking whack-a-mole, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Like, some shit's just going to pop up. And yes, that's true of other industries, too. But when you're talking about a previously unregulated industry that is just now trying to figure this shit out, it's endless. And that's why this interview I found so captivating. Yeah. And why it should be a Kardashian-style reality show, because... I cannot think of another piece of programming that kind of just shows that day in, day out. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and Matt Shotwell has sick abs. Really? He's ripped. Yeah, you should huh. check out his Instagram. I can't believe I didn't. I just was so... I was... Yeah, please. <laughs> I was just reeling from, honestly, how real it was. You know, yeah. like I said, we haven't really heard from that. That well, kind he's of very candid in a way that mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are not. A lot of people in this industry are very guarded, right? Yeah. And for good reason. You're you're always kind of searching for that realness in like who is telling the real story. And I feel like Matt Shotwell does tell a real story. Yeah. But he only tells a small part of the story. And I think that's really important to to remind yourself of, right? Like Matt is hella privileged and he's he's totally willing to admit it. And take advantage of that privilege and all of those things and admit that he's doing that. But, like, yes, we should have a Matt Shotwell, you know, keeping up with the Shotwells, whatever. <laughs> um, but really, we need those representations to be wider and more interesting than they are. Mm -hmm. And, like, right now, the people who are getting play are a bunch of rich dudes. Chelsea Handler's making money, right? So she's a huge celebrity who's just kind of made her way into weed, right? She's like, she is now 
the celebrity. The celebrity is her. It's Whoopi Goldberg. It's Jim Belushi. It's all these other people. Does Matt Shotwell have a shot? Like, does he have a chance of keeping his his title? Well, and that's the, I don't know, because that's the bummer. Like, that's why I think he needs a TV show, because I feel like there's, there needs to be some sort of, like, authenticity check on a lot of people, right? Like, Chelsea Handler's doing a good job of, with her demographic and her followers, who probably aren't, like, native to cannabis, of, like, really kind of owning a knowledge you know she's Mm -hmm. a bit of a know-it-all when it comes to weed now and it's like that kind of thing where it's like have you heard about cannabis Mm -hmm. you know where Mm -hmm. it's like yeah so but i mean for her demographic that works right Mm -hmm. but then i think about like people that have been around cannabis forever who do kind of see through the bs of of that kind of stuff where does like maybe that's where matt shotwell does have a shot he's one to watch like i think it was a great interview i think it's someone that we should have on our radar for me personally, someone who's been around cannabis for years, I kind of felt like, oh crap, I didn't know who, like I wasn't super into this dude. I guess I should get more into it or, you know. Yeah. But you know, it's funny, like I saw at Hall of Flowers, they had panels with Chelsea Handler. They had panels with Burner. They're, mm-hmm. I mean, what, Bobby Hundreds was, did he mm-hmm. talk? And he yeah. doesn't even smoke weed. Yeah. And it's like, you kind of feel bad for someone like Matt Shotwell. Like, where was his place at the table, right? Yeah. Outside in a in big gold chrome bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's he's going to show up, bitch. You don't have to invite him to the <laughs> table. He's, he's going to show up and he might dance on it. Yeah. <laughs> Wrecked is a podcast of The Grass Agency. I'm Christopher Trout. My co-hosts are Rena Caria and Brandy Moody. We're produced and edited by Kyle Mock, and our theme music is by Reginder. Follow us at The Grass Agency on Instagram and Twitter. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.